some of the concepts that I've mentioned a little bit earlier, they are so much more relevant and tangible and I can see how they can impact my career going forward because I have some of these experiences under my belt. Welcome to Unlocking College Life, real talk about all things college. The best part of this podcast is that your voice is part of the show. Other students care what you have to say. So through your questions, your feedback, and your real talk, we all grow together. Let's dive in with your hosts, Joy and Alona. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Unlocking College Life. Today, we're joined by Eric Hoppenbeck, and he is going to talk a little bit about his MBA experience, but also potentially about his undergrad experience as well. So I'm going to let him introduce himself, and we'll go from there. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Great to join a fellow podcast. My name is Eric Hoffenbeck. I come from the Denver, Colorado area. I'm currently a second year student at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan, pursuing my MBA in the full-time program. I've been in Ann Arbor now for a year and a half, headed into our final 100 days, which is hard to believe. But really, it's been an incredible experience that, of course, I can share everything that's been going on. Some of the sort of highlights I should mention are I'm involved. I'm one of the executive producers of the student-led podcast at Ross, Business Beyond Usual, which has been incredibly enjoyable pastime and extracurricular. I'd never done a podcast before getting to Ross, so it was a fun way to sort of expand the breadth of what I was learning. But I'm also co-president of the beer club called Maze and Brew. I'm a avid craft beer aficionado, but also did the sort of traditional recruiting for a consulting role. And we'll be heading off to a full-time management consulting position after I graduate here in a couple months. So tried to pull in all the fun and professional and academic pieces in my MBA experience so far. Eric, welcome, welcome. So glad you're here with us. I cannot help myself with the introduction. Can you give us a proper elevator speech? the proper MBA elevator speech in your introduction. And then I know one of your mantras has been high, low and buffalo. So we are going to look for the highs, the lows and buffaloes of your MBA experience, but also even undergrad. Sure. Yes. Let me dust off the odyssey, as we call it at Ross. So I grew up in Colorado. I attended the University of Puget Sound up in Tacoma, Washington for undergrad. I then returned back to Colorado. I missed the sunshine significantly, but actually jumped into a two-year leadership development program working at a private philanthropic foundation. Essentially, their main purpose was to give grant dollars to nonprofits around the state of Colorado, but also develop this next generation of nonprofit leaders for the state, sort of a blend of real-world experience as well as some leadership development. Then helped get a cybersecurity nonprofit focused on education off the ground for about 18 months. And then most recently, before Ross, was leading a organization in Denver, really at the intersection of the public, private, and nonprofit sectors to build those cross-sector collaborations and relationships, but also through some leadership programs ourselves, the highlight of which is a program to get business leaders to go into government service really have a strong sort of civics mindset in my background. Decided to come to business school to really see what the lens of the private sector was like, ideally to 
eventually go into the social impact world, but using private sector skills and tools, I found my way to consulting in part to get a broad and sort of broad and deeper perspective of some of the private sector industries that exist and hoping after a couple of years of that to find whatever path that may be to do some private sector work, but all for the sort of greater good. That's kind of my life mission is doing what I can for the greater good. So thank you for the chance. Yeah. And I think maybe our undergrad listeners, I think what's probably in their mind is how did you get there? Because that's all so amazing. And it's unlikely that at 18, you knew exactly that this is where you'd be today. So could you take us back a little bit? I found this leadership program, the one I did immediately after undergrad, actually through my older brother who had, he had done the same program. It's for sort of Colorado residents, those who are interested in doing good in the world. Very lucky to be able to have found that through him. I threw all my eggs in that basket when I was graduating, hoping that it would work out. And if it didn't, I'd sort of follow the footsteps of many of my classmates who moved up to Seattle, started working for the Boeings, the Amazon the whatever jobs that they could find. Really, I'd say each step along the way has been kind of an interesting conversation where the startup was being stood up in Colorado Springs, where I was at the time. And I knew someone in the organization I was at was helping get it going. So I reached out to say, hey, this is interesting. If you need any help, I'd love to jump in. And I had a meeting on my calendar the next day and they said, we need someone who's sort of the odds and ends guy willing to do everything from getting our phone line set up to even doing some presentations in front of the board. So really getting this incredible experience just by asking. So I think that was one lesson I learned. I think also being in that entity gave me the opportunities to do so. And I'd say I'm very fortunate to been able to be accepted to that program, which has kind of been a platform to help launch me to each next step along the way. So from the world of nonprofit to profit, right? Yes. You're headed to tell us where you headed? I'm headed to Accenture Strategy, actually headed back to the Northwest, back to Seattle, Washington. I appreciate sort of the lead there, balancing my mindset of how can we do more for caring for others in the world with the sort of traditional perspective of for-profit business is money at all costs, even if it ends up hurting other people or the planet or whatever it may be. And I think that was a false assumption that I had when I first came to Michigan Ross. I chose Michigan Ross in part because they have a really strong focus on social impact or hopefully finding ways to have companies that, yes, do earn money and earn revenue and earn profit at the end of the day, but are also focused on doing some sort of social good. Think like Tom Shoes, think like Patagonia with a sustainable supply chain. So I really wanted to gain the knowledge and skill set through an MBA to be able to make that transition to profit, to see what the world's like, because I'm not naive enough to think that the whole world will be kumbaya and social impact focused, especially in a capitalist society that we live in in America. So how can I inform myself and then hopefully make a difference through a social impact lens at some point down the road? Well, and like what you're talking about sounds really intentional. You are talking about how maybe two worlds can be divisive in that way with making huge assumptions about the other. And like, I, I mean, I'll admit, I sometimes fall into that when I hear about going to Wall Street and you can have like a very narrow view of any 
world. So I appreciate that you're saying you actually are getting the degree to expand your understanding of what that means. So I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about that, because I think that's also transferable with other disciplines that students study. Well, and before you do, Eric, I think we can also do this the other direction. Nonprofits do make money. Correct. Yes. <laughs> that is a common misconception, I think, at times is that nonprofit doesn't mean there's money to be earned. It's simply that the sole purpose is not to maximize profits. It's to maximize impact, but it still has to be run like a business. I don't think I had the realization of needing that perspective of what comes in the private sector until probably the last year or so of my previous role. I think I was finding myself frustrated with the sort of nonstop grind of fundraising in a nonprofit, which many great nonprofit professionals get really burned out because each year they are desiring to make the greatest impact. But that also comes with consistently asking others for money, whether it be individual donors or these traditional grant making institutions. And a lot of it comes with strings and hoops and ports to fill out. And I think part of what I was hoping to understand through the private sector is, A, how are people developing these great sums of wealth that they seem to have and therefore can use to give to nonprofits charitably or to leverage through political influence. I'm in a great class right now called Business and Democracy to understand how does the business and the private sector world interact with federal, state, local governments and how their relationship there is at times necessary, but I think at times it becomes far too extreme and that's where we see the dark money in politics. So I've now kind of gone down a rabbit hole, but I think it's taken a few years of working in that nonprofit space and trying to really do things that help the greater community to realize I need to learn more to be a more effective, hopefully nonprofit leader sometime later down in my career. From your experience at Ross, sort of really, truly the highs, lows, the internships, the recruiting, I think that that can be really grueling. I know the FAC program helps. Tell us a little bit for students who might be considering, right, an MBA program anywhere, but certainly at Michigan, what have been the highlights? What has kept you sane? How have you sustained it? You're so, so close. You said, what, 100 days away? Tell us, share with our listeners. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for bringing back. And I'll throw in a buffalo as well. Buffalo being the sort of wild extra added part. I'll definitely start with the highs in part. That's sort of how I see the world as a glass half full. I would say I've met some of the most incredible people I could have ever met here. Part of coming to a phenomenal graduate school is I meet people from all around the world. I have a good friend from one of the smallest countries in the world, Andorra, which is between Spain and France, would never have probably met him before. And these relationships are really genuine in that there's a stereotype that MBA programs is networking all the time. But what I've found is that really it's been these deep connections of what do you want to do with your life? Who do you want to be as a human being, not just what's the recruiting path that you're seeking out? So far and away, it's been the people and the culture of sort of supporting one another that I've really appreciated. The academics have been what I hoped, giving me a few new skill sets, new tools to be a more effective leader in any sector coming out of this program. Um, that was another key important part for me. And I would say the recruiting journey, this will be a segue into the lows, but 
the high part is a school like this sets students up to go wherever they want. They're willing to put in the work. We have amazing resources with the career development office, the fact groups, as you mentioned, which are you know small groups of peers who help one another prepare for interviews, both the traditional sense and also the classic consulting case interviews. All of these different support mechanisms really help you get to be sort of at peak performance when it comes time for interviewing with real firms. And so I was fortunate enough to have a few different offers to consider for my internship. I went with Accenture Strategy, had a great summer, and was provided full-time offer for post-graduation, which is sort of the goal. Uh, get that offer so then you have a choice on the table. So that's been phenomenal. And I love Ann Arbor. I have to mention that too. Ann Arbor has just been one of my most favorite places to live in. Some of the lows, definitely the recruiting stress. And at times, something I was pleasantly surprised by the collaborative nature of my colleagues and friends. There are times where you realize there are a finite number of positions for 150 MBAs from just this school going for it. And then you expand that out to every top business school and you start to really question some of your abilities at times. It's, it's hard to sort of maintain that confidence of, you know, I can do it. Imposter syndrome, I think it's something that probably every MBA faces, whether or not we openly speak about it. Whereas you wonder if you're good enough to be able to do it. And you have lots of those ups and downs through the roller coaster. A lot of it is sort of chance. I mean, there's a black box on the other side where me and a colleague have, you know, we could have identical resumes and we submit our applications and one of us will get an interview and the other one will not. And I'm sure there's a system that they could tell us, but going into a process like that with a mindset that a lot of this is chance, a lot of this, you cannot control the outcome, control as much as you can control. That kind of helped me get through some of those low parts. I'd also be remiss if I didn't say that the ongoing pandemic certainly has had an impact. I would say I've met some of the best friends I'll ever make in the world who we I actually got married in October and invited many of my classmates because they've become such dear friends and such a wonderful part of our lives. But meeting people initially was quite tough over Zoom. And then when depending on people's comfort level of seeing one another outside, meeting new friends is hard anywhere throw on a pandemic. Honestly, it makes me think about and have such empathy for undergrads. Those who either started college during the pandemic are about to had their senior years canceled. I mean, I can't imagine how difficult that is to go through some of these challenges that were so formative for me in my life. And yet seeing such a bustling campus when I go to Ross these days and all these energetic, like enthusiastic students, that is giving me hope that we're all going to get through this. Hopefully, sooner than later, we shall see. But I'd say definitely had a few about a year ago this time was probably my lowest moment because it's very cold in Michigan right now for those listeners who don't know. And you couldn't go inside out of the safety of our community. And so really not having as much of that social connection made it really tough. To think about the Buffalo, I think this might be a cop-out given here we are chatting on a podcast, but my greatest Buffalo is probably Business Beyond Usual and the podcast. When I was an undergrad, I was a tour guide. I was part of the admissions team. Part of what I was so proud to do is to share how great the institution was and share those stories with prospective students. And I'm a student ambassador for Ross, but the podcast has been such a fun way to share the nuances of the experience when you only have 15 minutes with a prospective student on the phone and they want to ask the questions that will help them 
with their application, with their interview. And I want to be as helpful to that one person in the moment. Whereas the podcast, we get to talk about everything from the academics and how students approach that to all the social life activities that are going on and everything in between. And we've recorded a couple in person, actually, towards the end of last semester before the Omicron variant really started to pick up. And the energy of just chatting with people in a room and then throwing some microphones in, I mean, it has been so wonderful for me and I do hope to continue podcasting in some form or fashion when I leave Ross. That's awesome. It makes me think a lot of what you were talking about, too, makes me think about like when I think of leadership and when I think of the business world, I've heard that sometimes the skill set around like emotional intelligence and empathy and communication sometimes gets a little bit in the shadow versus I think what sometimes people make assumptions about leaders and business, public speaking and making money. But I feel like you're speaking to a lot of that. I wonder if you could say a little bit more about that. Yeah, certainly. I appreciate the question because I think my own philosophy of leadership sort of has a few values of certainly confidence, but a necessity for humility, necessity for empathy and compassion. Because at the end of the day, if anyone is a leader, formal or informal, People are looking to that person for guidance, for support, for any sort of direction towards what to do. And if that leader can't connect as a human being with those other people, in my mind, that really is where leadership can fall short. I'm actually glad we're chatting at this point of my career at the MBA because I'm in a couple of classes right now that we're speaking to this directly, whereas I'm in one class, it's a brand new one about how status and prestige how they are created, how they are driven by companies, but also leaders. And in that class, the research shows that those students who are maybe less collaborative, they're a-holes in the classroom, they're not nice, that actually goes on to really hurt them in their career beyond the MBA because all their classmates remember that. And so all the sort of aggressive leadership qualities that maybe formerly were revered are no longer really those qualities that are actually leading to successful leaders in the future. In this other class that I had last night, it's all about leading without formal authority and actually how to manage situations when a leader does come in the room and is that sort of direct, they don't take any BS and they're maybe insulting. And what are some tactics you can use to direct the conversation in a productive way to include others in what's going on, to influence an outcome of a decision in a way that's maybe better off for others? The whole time I had these connections of back to my previous job where I was in one of these meetings and had a similar boss. And I think realizing these skills and tools can be used towards my future career. And I can hopefully share that with other people, what feels like success. And so sort of to wrap it all up, I would say having a sense of emotional intelligence is so critically important for really any sort of leadership. And leadership doesn't have to be the CEO or the president. It's you or the person who takes the lead on planning events for your friend group. Like you're leading, whether you know it or not. And so understanding those moments is critical too. 
as a leader of an organization, it certainly proved, especially in COVID, that type of leadership goes really, really far. And it's super, super essential. And the other point that you were making, it's no secret when you look at statistics on job satisfaction, that for example, people stay longer if they actually feel heard, if they feel they actually have a role in decision making. I mean, it's not democracy, they are bottom lines. But I think you're highlighting really, really important points. Leadership, you've also touched on one of my favorite subjects, hence my sort of pre-Ross career. And I think we're seeing a changing tide a bit too over the last you know couple of decades of what does effective, revered leadership. And I've used that word a couple of times, but like those leaders who are not just revered for the amount of money that they've earned their company, but who are the ones who connect with people in a way that make them feel they're maybe a superhero. And is that part of the connection to wanting to integrate with the public policy work too. I guess I'm still curious about where you see that whole thing going. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think sort of one of my fundamental beliefs is the nobility of public service. And certainly in today's world, politics is really frustrating. It's feels like it's not a noble calling. It feels shady. It really is hard to watch as someone who believes in we live in a democracy. And in order to have a good democracy, we need good people to work in government. And so my belief in public service is there hopefully are going to be more and more people who choose to get into public service, whether that is elected office or even apply for roles and work in government. Because yes, there are things government does wrong. We can all agree on that. But I think we can all agree there are great things that government does and as a necessity in our world. And I think trying to find where the private sector influences or intersects with government has been one of those passion areas that I've been trying to seek out while I've been here at Ross. I'm actually going to do a program that's a week long in Washington, D.C. in early March. That's all about business and public policy and how do the two work together? Because I think lobbying is a dirty word. There's parts of it that are necessary where legislators can't know everything about what's happening in the economy and the climate. But I think there's lots that can be improved as far as the dark money in politics, the absurd amount of money for campaigns that prevents certain people from running, prevents us from having a diverse set of representatives. I think these are all critical areas that hopefully I can help work on maybe full-time, maybe as sort of as an aside in my community while I'm doing a full-time job too. It's interesting because I just talked to an undergrad student this morning who is hoping for an internship in D.C. He has done some internships in D.C. already. But we even talked about simply the fact that they're offering $800 a month and how inaccessible that is going to be for some students. And we talked about the Amazons and other internships, just internships that pay heck of a lot more money. So I think it starts really at the other end of the spectrum, and it just trickles up that way. Totally. And then there's also this sort of old school mentality of you've got to sort of earn your way on whether it's in Capitol Hill, or even a state house in Lansing in Michigan or in Denver. And earning your way shouldn't mean not being able to afford rent in the city you're living in or being able to put food on your table. And I think and hope there's a shift towards can we make sure we pay interns in the political realm. That was an argument. There's this great book called Leadocracy. It's by Jeff Smart. He's actually one of the bases for 
a leadership program that we ran before Ross. And it's all about how there are a lot of phenomenal leaders in the world, many of them in the private sector, and many of them aren't going into government in part because they are trying to support a family. And that's also hard then. It's a juxtaposition where there's career government employees who do support a family. They have great careers, great lives. And so some of it is perspective of what's the sort of compensation level that's necessary to support a life that you want. But also I think there's a real argument for can we improve compensation for those who work in our government who, again, a lot of it's behind the scenes, but it, a lot of that helps make our societies function more effectively, at least when governments are working to the best that they can. So maybe to switch gears a teeny bit, what would you say to students who are considering business school, not necessarily Michigan, but who are undergrads who are inspired now and are, how do I do this? Or how do you choose? Because obviously there's different schools are right for different people. So what would be your advice? Great question. I think my first piece of advice would be to not look at business school until you've had a chance to do some sort of job for at least a year or two, ideally more three or four at least, because some of the concepts that I've mentioned a little bit earlier, I mean, they are so much more relevant and tangible and I can see how they can impact my career going forward because I have some of these experiences under my belt. I would say that's sort of a first table stakes level setting. And the next I would say is, I think a lot of prospective students, myself included, when you start thinking about business school, you think, okay, I've got to go for the top schools. Like I have to go try for Harvard and Stanford and Wharton. And these are all, I mean, they're three of the best schools in the country, in the world. But sort of the two pieces of advice that I got when I first started looking were, one is where do you want to be living for the rest of your life, or at least for a few years after business school? Because the power of some of the business schools is the alumni network, the connections you make with students that are deep and meaningful. But if I want to be in Chicago, then maybe I try to go, well, Michigan Ross happens to be a great school to go into Chicago, but also the Northwesterns of the world, the University of Chicago. So where do you want to live? And if business school is the right graduate school for you, going to those the schools that are exist in that city or that location. Another question is, I mean, there is some point to the rankings as much as I wish there were not. Being at Michigan Ross has opened doors to employers that I don't think I would have had those doors open had I gone to a different school. The same doors open for all the top 15, top 20 schools, of course. But I would say, depending on what you want to do for a career afterwards, and if you want to get into management consulting or investment banking, big marketing at large corporations, these things like the credibility of a Michigan Ross of a top school helps get you in the door, at least for an interview. If you're going for, say, a startup or something more non-traditional, then the rankings, I think, have less of necessity to help the direction that you're trying to go in. Lots of schools are great in entrepreneurship and they may not necessarily be in the top 10 schools necessarily. So I guess the last piece of advice I would say is try to remember, make sure you know who you are and what you personally want to get out of it. Because as soon as you hop on the blogs and the comment threads of all these business school application websites, you quickly can tell yourself, oh, wow, Gary says that he wants to be an investment banker. I think I want to be an investment banker. No, 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 no. I mean, you might, but knowing that sense of yourself before you kind of go through this process is going to be wildly important, which I think is also another statement towards 
having those few years after college before you think about applying as our prefrontal cortexes are still developing, we're still developing that sense of self. I think that's critical before you actually make the leap to apply to a a graduate program, business school or otherwise. Yeah, and I think I have certainly learned from the students that I've worked with and even listening to you and your peers is that people can also change their mind. Once they got here, they really realized, oh, wow, there is a whole ocean of options and opportunities that I didn't even consider. So that's also good to keep in mind. Very much so. Sort of my first point would be that, especially for those students who might be in college right now, is that each choice can feel really big in the moment and feel like this may determine everything for the rest of my life. And it may just be whether to join a club or club sport team. Like I played ultimate frisbee all through undergrad, but each of those small choices are a not sort of life locking, but they sort of help craft this weaving story of what a life can be. And I know probably Gen Z knows more than me, certainly that You don't have to choose a job and stick with this for 40 years. Being open to opportunity when opportunity knocks is really important. But I think the last things I would say that I've shared with other people I've worked with is my philosophy on work and life, which is be kind, do the right thing, and work hard. And generally, things hopefully will go your way. Now, I should mention, before we finally close, that comes with a lot of privilege, and not everyone is afforded the same privilege. And so... I'm trying to make sure I use the privilege that I have to make the world a more just and equitable place for others. But those three sort of baseline traits, I think you can go a long way by just sort of having that kind of right head on your shoulder, I suppose. I appreciate you naming all of those factors. And I think that's so important. And it's so clear in how you're speaking of all of your work, how much those tenets are present in your life. So thank you so much for being with us today, Eric. And we hope that all of you will tune in again next time. We really appreciate you being here. I think that you did help us dismantle some myths about business school in general and planted some great ideas here. So thanks so much. No problem. Thanks for having me. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us on your favorite pod platform. Share with your friends if this is making you think about and participate in college differently. We want to hear from you. Connect with us on Instagram and let us know how it's going. This podcast is not professional advice or replacement for therapy. If you need professional advice, you should find it with professionals in your area, such as your primary care physician or therapist.